Welcome to the Juniper and Journey podcast with Keziah Ritter and Lindsay Heslop. We're so thrilled that you're here. This is a podcast dedicated to celebrating the strength and stories of women, good, bad, ugly, and beautiful in their own words. We believe in the power of real conversations, honest confessions, and playful nostalgia. You'll get to hear all kinds of perspectives from all kinds of women about all kinds of things. We'll talk about life and motherhood and loss and faith. We'll reminisce about the good old days, first loves, and old flames. This is going to be fun. Things might get a little rowdy, but we can guarantee that it will be meaningful, and we hope each woman's story inspires you towards empathy, compassion, and healing. Okay, let's get started. Today, we are joined by Hannah, and Hannah has become a new friend of mine, um, but I think that She's just the coolest. Like, yeah. <laughs> Hannah carries <laughs> this like quiet confidence about herself. She's tender hearted and wise um, and just really down to earth. Like, I feel like when I get to sit down with you, time just kind of evaporates. And I'm like, gosh, I want to be like Hannah. That's <laughs> how I feel. <laughs> It's funny because I left the last time we met coffee. I was like, I want to be like Lindsay. Oh, that's the best. (laughs) So welcome, Hannah. We're happy you're here. Thank you. It's funny also to hear you say quiet because I don't think anybody has ever used the word quiet to (laughs) define me before. So I'll take that. Appreciate that. That's awesome. Well, tell us just a little bit about um, like who you are and what life looks like right now and what you do, what you're up to. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So I... I'm relatively new to Colorado. I moved here, I think it's been about three years now, um, from a little town in North Carolina called Davidson and a place where I thought, actually, I think for the first time I ever truly felt was like I was at home. Colorado has quickly become my new home. Um, I love it in Boulder and I know specifically um, there's a space for me in Boulder, um, which has been really cool. I live with my mom which was interesting because I just turned 32 on the 9th. So moving back in with my mom was not in the plan originally. Um, And I graduated from college and I was like, I am independent. I'm doing my own thing. I'm going to travel all over and did that and then wound up coming back. Um, And it's just been really a sweet time. We had just kind of talked about appreciating things when they've been you know, taken away from you or when you've had to work really hard from them, uh, for them. And I think I have a whole new appreciation about living at home, um, with my mom now that I ever did, which has been such a gift to kind of build a relationship with her in this like new season of friendship. Um, so that's kind of where Rumi's in, in Boulder. And that's been really fun. I have a dog named Ziva. She's a German shepherd rescue and she's a sweet thing. I am in seminary now. Like, didn't see that one coming. I honestly, when I graduated college, I was all about business. Like, I was going to be a business owner. I was going to do it my way. I was going to just so, I was arrogant and didn't even realize it. Like, yeah, just a lot of ambition. And so it's been a really crazy ride since the second I like went to orientation and they promised, you know, you're going to be drinking from a fire hose. Your life is never going to be the same. And I was like, oh been through a lot and I'm kind of old now. So like, it really can't be that, (laughs) that much. And no, I think my life has been turned upside down. Um, and so I'm back working with uh, an organization called athletes in action, 
which is where I really first came to know Jesus. Um, and so that's really cool. I work with CU student athletes and it's slow or slowly getting started. Um, kind of a perfect storm. I, I knew I was supposed to be in Boulder and apparently the organization had been praying over a campus rep for years and no one had ever wanted to move to Boulder, wanted to be involved with CU, um, for so many reasons, but I was like, Oh, uh, here I am. Didn't mean to. And they kind of sought me out and said, we'd love for you to, to launch this organization. And I said, no. And, uh, God was <laughs> like, no, actually you're like, you're wrong. You're going to do it. And it's just been so perfect because that same entrepreneurial heart that I had as a graduate, um, leaving NC state, I get to be an entrepreneur, um, but not in my own like understanding in the way that I want to do it, but in a way that God wants me to do it. So yeah, that's kind of been a crazy whirlwind to get there, but it's really cool to see like right where I am, I'm getting to do and be who I wanted to be. So let's kind of then back up from this point that you're at now and let's, you know, rewind back mm -hmm. to when you were, um, yeah, just a little girl and kind of walk us through or tell us about the beginning of this love for sport and this love for basketball that will kind of weave throughout your life. So I wanted to be an Olympic gymnast. <laughs> That's how oh I gosh, started. Really? To be. <laughs> yes. So I had a dream. Uh, I was a dancer growing up. I started when I was three and I loved gymnastics. Um, I wanted to be, yeah, I wanted to be an Olympic gymnast. I would tape like, uh, you know, the like, I don't know, shipping tape or whatever yeah. it's clear on the floor as my my uh balance beam and yeah I was all about it and <laughs> I I took gymnastic classes and and it was really funny because I started seeing like the girls that I was in gymnastics with they were improving and moving up in the levels and I was staying the same and my one back handspring would be like there too and I'm starting to like try to piece these dots together I'm like something is not right here and uh lo and behold I was like becoming a liability because I was so tall. I just did not fit in. I would hit my feet on the parallel bars. Like it was not working. So my mom had to pull me aside and have this like really serious heart to heart with me when I was like eight years old, I think. She's like, Hannah, you can be anything in the world you want to be. Anything. I will support it. I will back you. I'm like, I'm here for you and you can do it. I believe in you, except for gymnastics. And I was like, <laughs> and then for some reason she threw in a horse jockey as well. You can't be a horse jockey even. And I was like, well, I didn't really think about that. Like, I didn't even know what it was, but she was like, so let's do out of the cards too. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So my world came crashing to an end, but that's how I kind of like discovered basketball, if you will. Um, she had loved basketball growing up. And so she was like, how about you try this sport? Like when you're tall, this is a better option. So I started playing basketball. Um, I loved softball too. I think I was better at softball, to be honest. I was not a natural basketball player. Um, but yeah, my shot, like when I would shoot, oh, I was just horrible. <laughs> um, but I was tall and that really helped and it, it kind of carried me. And then I started picking up a passion for it and started realizing like, Hey, I'm, I can get better at this. This is something that I can work at. Um, and then just really kind of started falling in love with it. My mom loved it. She supported me. Um, and then when I was in fifth grade, I think it came to be about fifth grade. And I started realizing there's opportunity for women to play collegiate sports and basketball is one of those opportunities for me. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool. I could be on TV and like I could go to college for this. And so that I think fifth grade, I remember like saying, 
that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to play college basketball. And, uh, yeah. So the journey started then and it was just kind of slow. I played for a Christian school. I went to a small Christian school growing up and, um, there was not too, too many opportunities out of that. So I found there's a public school that, um, I transferred to for high school. So I really didn't start playing like competitive high school basketball until my sophomore year of high school. Um, and Would that's that be considered like a later start. Yeah. Also. Yeah. Oh, so for sure. Like, I'm a little bit behind here. In yeah. The game. Okay. I was definitely behind the game and especially I, I didn't realize it so much so until I asked my basketball coach, I said, well, didn't really ask. I was like, I'm going to play soccer because I was in high school. A lot of my friends played soccer. They needed a backup goalie. Um, the goalie who was a lead goalie was like one of my best friends. She's was all state, like the best goalie. So I was not going to play at all. I was just going to be there, like hang out in case they needed me. And my basketball coach, both of them, high school and my travel coach was like, absolutely not. There, you are already behind. You like you can't afford to. And that was the first time that I realized, like, wow, I really need to work hard because I am behind. Um, mm. And so that was interesting. I think that instilled a work ethic in me. Um, that was like, okay, I might not be the best, I might not be the most experienced, but I'm going to work really hard. And I know that's something I can have control over. Um, and so I, I mean, I played. I was the first one in the gym, last one to leave. I had shooting coaches and just found other opportunities to work and to train and to practice outside of just, you know, my school or the travel team practices. So I literally ate, slept, breathed, like you name it, it was basketball. Sometimes I would fall asleep with my basketball in my bed, <laughs> kind of embarrassing, but yeah, I was like a one track mind. Um, and so then, yeah, I had the opportunity. I got to play for a, a national championship team in high school. Uh, called Fencor, who, I mean, the caliber of players on that team, I was way out of my league. I was behind, but it was such an opportunity to learn and to grow and to have my shot blocked consistently by the best player, one of the best players in the country, um, who is now an Olympian and plays in the WNBA. And, you know, it's just crazy to be able to, how that happened for a girl growing up in Pottstown, Pennsylvania, you know, like I just, yeah, it was, it was quite an incredible experience, but it was also very challenging. Um, and it was really hard to maintain confidence when I was constantly the one behind, um, the eight ball or, uh, having to fight my way in for playing time. But I definitely appreciate that season because it really established like, again, that work ethic and that resiliency and the grit to do what needs to be done in order to like to win or to get playing time or achieve a goal. So. So at what point did you have a coach or somebody kind of say to you, like, this could really go somewhere, you know, in addition to your own desire to play college mm -hmm. in college, was there a moment that it really became clear, like, you could do something with this and this this dream could really become a reality when i got seen so i played my sophomore year uh in a public school for the first time and i had a really successful season um which was pretty exciting and again i attribute a lot of that to height i really was not like i look back and i wasn't a super standout athlete um but I was tall and I was smart. I knew how to, you know, where to be at the right time. And again, worked really hard. And 
And after that season, I also had really great teammates too. You know, like it really helps when you have people as a big man, when they feed you the, the ball, um, which is pretty big man. I laugh when I consider myself that. I don't think that again. <laughs> how how tall are you? So I'm uh, a little over 6'2", somewhere between 6'2 and 6'3". Uh, in, when I was playing in college, I was 6'4". And then I moved out to LA. I was a model in LA for a little while and I was six foot. And now I'm settling into like, I think I'm legitimately somewhere around like six two. <laughs> but, but my mom was like, no, you're six three. And I don't think I've ever hit that point. I don't know. So yeah, I, there's a, it's a fluid concept. <laughs> I got it. I got it. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, I think it was when uh, in high school, after that season, I got a call that was kind of out of the blue from a, a, a rival team or an opposing team. The coach of that team, her sister coached this AAU team and they were, um, they traveled nationally. We were sponsored by Nike. Um, and it was kind of crazy because that was my first experience with like having gear given to you and like being on a, a bigger circuit than just, you know, playing local teams. And so that was the first time when that coach was like, Hey, I see potential in you and, and I want you to play for our team. And at that same time, there was a couple other coaches of rivaling teams of that AAU team that called and said, we want you to try out. We think that you'd be a really great, uh, collegiate prospect. And it was like, my world was rocking. Cause I, yeah, I, it had been a dream since fifth grade. And now it was something that could actually be a reality. And, you know, we're ingrained since, childbirth, I think, or childhood is like smart goals. And I'm even studying that in, in seminary right now. Like, what does it look like to set a, you know, specific measurable? This was not a smart goal. It was just like, Hey, how cool would it be if I could play college basketball? And it just kind of, you know, came to happen. And, and I think that that was really special. Um, and I don't know, I have all different feelings about goals, but it was a dream, I think. And it was really cool to see that it could become a reality. So I ended up trying out for a couple of the dif different teams that really settled with Fencore is, is what it was called. Um, and that's when I started getting seen by college scouts. So we would play in showcase tournaments where we'd travel to like Chicago or Portland, Oregon, or we were in Tennessee, Nashville, I think. Um, and college coaches from all over would come and watch you play. And it was, I mean... It was terrifying. I'm not going to lie. I think I had like, I just didn't always, I think because I had that in the back of my mind, like I don't, I'm behind the eight ball. I don't, I, I felt like I just never deserved to be there. I, I knew that like I was keeping up, I was performing and I was playing well, but in my heart, I think I, if I'm being honest, I always felt like I had this kind of imposter syndrome, like I'm just tall or it, I don't know why I'm here, but I'm here. Or, like it just, yeah. So it, it, it always I was always nervous when I played and I was always anxious. So even though it was like my greatest passion, I would say I loved practices far more than games hmm. um, because it was such a pressure filled experience for me. And so, yeah, we're, you know, 15, 16, well, I guess at that point, 16 years old playing in, you know, the other side of the country against players who are taller than me, bigger than me. They've been playing for longer. They have, you know, national, notoriety. And there's all these coaches that are like, Hmm, let's, you know, judge her every movement. So it was really an interesting experience, but I started getting letters and there was like 90 schools from all over the country between, you know, division one, division two, II, division three that started sending letters like, Hey, we want you. And as a 16 year old, my brain was like, 
what is going on? Like, it's just crazy. So I think that was when it really started becoming real to me. And yeah, everything it, I felt at the moment, everything that I had given up as a kid, um, was worth it. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like this is, this is actually happening. It's interesting to me too, that this piece of like the imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. because you wanted to do gymnastics and then it was like, well, you're too tall. And then being tall was the thing that you felt like qualified you for yeah. this other thing. Was there any point in, in the story with basketball that you, that those kind of met up where you were like, okay, yes, I'm tall. <laughs> so that's great. But also I deserve to be here too. Is that kind of you, when these letters start coming, that's when these kind of meet or when was there a moment I, for you where you felt like I do deserve to be here? That's a good, including question. the fact that I'm tall, but for other reasons too. I think it was, um, it wasn't until I would say one of the last tournaments that we played, I think it might've been in Portland where we, um, we traveled out there and the player that, um, that was like our superstar, she couldn't make the trip and she was unable to, to travel with us. And so I got a lot more time. Cause up until that point, I was like five minutes here, eight minutes here. And, um, we played some, like these were the most competitive teams in the country. And I was actually like ha- contributing to our wins. And I think that was the first time that I was like, Hey, I can, I can do this. Um, and I felt comfortable of, of realizing like, yeah, I, I deserve to be here. Like I can keep up, I can compete. Um, and then going back from my senior year of high school, that was when I like really hit that stride of, yes, this is, you know, this is good. But it, it's interesting because even then, um, that was when the internet was starting to, to like, re- I know that sounds, that's crazy. I'm dating myself. <laughs> ah, like yes. up until this point, there wasn't <laughs> such a thing. A world yeah. Been there. Web. Yep. Yep. <laughs> AIM. AIM. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, so that was like around the time I see, I think it was, yeah, my senior year, that was like a thing. And so there would be these discussion boxes, you know, and people would have like weigh in from like the Mercury, which was our newspaper place. And it was really trippy because right when I started to feel comfortable of like, I deserve to be here. And even if I didn't, I loved the sport so much at that point that it didn't even matter. Um, and I think that's really what outweighed whenever I was insecure, I was like, yeah, but I love basketball so much. So I would almost be playing. Well, in college, I felt like I was so happy practicing and I was happy to be there. And then when I would get into the game, I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? I'm terrified. Like I wanted to play, but I didn't want to play, but I just loved the sport so much that I think that was like what really helped me battle those insecurities. But it was interesting because I think back to that time when I first really started thinking like, yes, I, I can compete the, there was messages that would pop up and I, you know, read them just cause it was exciting. And I'd see, and there'd be people who are like, she's garbage. She can't play. Like she doesn't deserve a division one scholarship. And you know, who does she think she is? And so it was really weird. I'm like, I'm in high school. This is crazy. I'm mm. just a kid. And these are, parents and adults that are, you know, weighing in and having these, these thoughts. And, and I think that then just kind of 
was another, you know, I don't know, kind of a reminder of like, maybe I don't deserve to be here. Mm. Um, but I think it's always just been that tension between those insecurities. And then also, I also think too, I really loved the sport so much that because I loved it, it was also very vulnerable subject for me. So like any other sport it is fine. I can make a joke of myself, like, no, I'm not that great. Or maybe I don't deserve to be here, but because I loved it so much and I wanted to be there, like the thought of not being good enough, I think that made it a little bit more sensitive. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think I was a little bit more vulnerable in that sense. Yeah. Oh yeah. So then tell us about NC State. How does that come to pass? Ah, so (laughs) I got a letter uh, from NC State. I'd never heard of the school before because I grew up in Philly. Or just, I can't say Philly. My teammates in college made me know like, I'm not a Philly girl. I grew up outside of Philadelphia. Uh, <laughs> I am not. Yeah. Um, so I grew up outside of Philly and I did not, I didn't know NC state. I knew UNC. I got a letter from Duke, only one, but I was like, that is gold. Um, so I got this letter from NC state. I'm like, this is a really cute mascot. I'll open this one. Like, so that was that, um, I'm embarrassed to say, but Tuffy, Mr. Wolf, like, he totally drew me to NC State. I was like, this is great. Let me check Let me check this school out. And it was really cool. They're a top 25 team. Um, I think the year that I signed with them, they were like 2018, 20. Um, they had a top five recruiting class the year before me. And then I think I was a top 10 recruiting class. So there was a lot of like momentum and a lot of history. Uh, more than anything else, I got to meet Coach K. Yao, who – for anybody listening and for you guys, if you will just Google K-Yao, K-A-Y-Y-O-W. She's just, she was the most, one of the most amazing women who ever, uh, whoever impacted like life as we know it. She just, I don't think words can explain her authenticity, her genuine love and passion for God, for life, for sport, um, for people. And so when I met her, and realized the legacy that she brought to NC State. Um, it was just kind of this, this like aha moment of this is who I want to, this is who I want to get to know because this is the kind of woman I want to be. And I think my mom was kind of feeling that same pull was like, okay, I'm giving you away. You're a baby. I mean, hmm. 18 years old and there's going to be some coach that's going to have an influence over your life for the next four years. And she wanted it to be someone who would teach me to be uh, a woman and to be someone who uh, loves well, who listens, who like, you know, just has a a solid character. And so it was really cool that we both kind of found that in coach Yao. And so there was that piece in that. And there's a couple, a couple other schools that were really hard because you've developed these relationships when you're being recruited and, uh, you know, to have to call them and say, I'm choosing NC state. And it was hard, but, but really sweet at the same time. And so getting to play for her, I mean, this is the kind of woman who they asked her to coach the Olympics. So I think one of the first times that they sent a woman's team to uh, the Olympic games, the Soviet union, I think it was a Soviet union at the time, they blew everybody out of the water. They won every year. And so the Olympic committee came to coach Yao and we're like, okay, we want you to coach this team, no pressure, but if you could just get silver, that would be like, we just, 
just really try for that. We don't expect gold, but just yeah, and just a silver. She <laughs> she was like at the Olympics. Yeah, right. Well, she goes, okay. Well, I'm gonna bring you back a gold, and they won the gold, like the first time the Soviet had ever lost. Like, so she she's not only just an amazing woman, but she was a fierce competitor, and she did it the right way, which was really cool. So to be able to be a part of that and the legacy that she established at NC State, what I realized is that she recruited rough players, like women who were maybe not like, didn't have the best grades or didn't come from the best, you know, upbringing or, um, and not that that, that was the only case, but I think she also saw, I think what the kind of player she saw was the potential. So she would look at the soul of each girl and see what God, I think she had a gift of seeing what God had for them. And so mm-hmm. she would bring them to NC state, invest in them, um, in all aspects of life and then help with this transformation to then send them out to be these incredible women who are doing amazing things in the world today. And like, I'm, it, it, it baffles my mind that I get to be a part of that. And it's so much more than just basketball. Um, and so that's what really like drew me to NC state when I got there. It was a totally different story. Like (laughs) it was not what I was expecting at all. Um, she relapsed the year before I got there. And I guess, um, what I forgot to mention is that she passed away from breast cancer my sophomore year. Um, so she had a 30 year battle with breast cancer and she was just the most amazing fighter. She relapsed three different times. Um, and would always, you know, beat it and come back stronger. And so she even established like a lot of the think, all the think pink games and the play for K, like they are all the breast cancer awareness that she kind of started that with a game called hoops for hope. And it's now play for K and it just is amazing. She has like, she's just established this community for survivors and for cancer warriors to be a part of our family, the NC State, you know, Wolfpack woman family and, and beyond. So that was like just amazing to be a part of, but she, um, was not as involved or couldn't be as involved with our team as she was prior, you know, the 30 years prior. And so I got there and it just was like, it felt like chaos to me. Um, there's a lot of strong willed, highly, uh, motivated and very driven, uh, skilled young women who are like, I deserve to play. I'm going to be the best. I want to, you know, and so it was just this interesting dynamic where uh, it was just tough. It was a tough environment. And for someone who was sensitive and tenderhearted and like I came in thinking, I just want to love everybody and I want to be a part of a team and this is so exciting. And I definitely got this not beat out of me. Um, It was quite a wake up call for me, but I also look back and see like I came in from my perspective and my world and what I knew life to be. And I didn't know, I mean, I was very, 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 very different from so many of my teammates, mostly all of them. And so for me to come in with my upbringing and love them the way that I would have wanted to be loved was so disrespectful or like inauthentic to them. And Mm -hmm. so my teammates felt like they couldn't trust me, that I was fake, that like no one could possibly love me that much they don't even know me. And so it was really interesting how those dynamics kind of unfolded. And I ended up, uh, yeah, being bullied pretty badly. Um, if not vocally and like verbally through words, uh, on the court, I got the snot beat out of me, like elbow. I mean, you name it. It was when I wasn't paying attention, 
I would get a cheap shot or, you know, get knocked out. And so it was just, my career was just one injury after another. By your teammates? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. It's a, it was a cutthroat environment. Um, and it's, it's competitive and it's sad to say, but a lot of other athletes that I talk to, I mean, it's a similar experience, whether it's team or coaches, like college sports, there's a lot more that goes into it than what we see on the outside. And it looks like it would just be this amazing opportunity, but it, it's at a great cost too. So it was a, yeah, wake up call, I think is one, one word I, that best describes it. Does this like struggle and conflict within your team, does that start to affect like your love for the game at any point where you go, geez, I don't know, like kind of those feelings of, do I even want to be here? Now those are being challenged too. Yeah, that was, I think I, I wrestled with that question three of the four years that I played at NC State. Um, Freshman year, I, I ended up uh, having to be redshirted my freshman year because I broke my ankle or I re-injured my ankle from a broken ankle in high school. And, um, and I think that was really tough, but at that point I still was like, it was worth it. I wanted to be there. And I didn't, there was, there wasn't, uh, it wasn't so bad in that moment that I was questioning whether I wanted to stay or not so much so because I hadn't had the opportunity to really taste the court time, you know, the time there to, to see if it was worth wrestling, uh, wrestling with. And then my sophomore year, I came back and it still was just hostile and it was tough. And it really started playing on my heartstrings. I got injured again. I broke my nose and then it like was so broken that they had to re-break it and like put it back into place. And so I missed a lot of that season. And, and I think at that point was the first time that I remember like really questioning. I was in, uh, I think I may have told you this story, but I was on an airplane. We were flying back from a game that um, was just, it was bad. We lost horribly. The team was at odds. We just really struggled. And, and I had, um, I had put my stuff down on on a chair in the plane because we chartered with coach. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. I will say that was uh, definitely a highlight. And so I went to go to the bathroom and came back and my stuff was just thrown all uh, in the aisle of the plane. And one of the gals had sat in my seat and was just kind of laughing. And I was confused because I, we were getting ready to take off and they're like, sit down. And, and I said, that was my seat. And she said, well, not anymore. And just like the, the last draw, I guess. And mm-hmm. so I, found the open seat, the only other open seat and sat down and was just kind of upset. They were laughing. My teammates were laughing and, and I heard my name and I knew that that wasn't kind things. And so I kind of started to cry and, um, they saw me crying and it was like, you think this is about you? And it just kind of escalated in a bad way. And to a point where I just, I was like, I just have to remove myself. I can't say anything. I curled up against the window and I was about to put my earbuds in to listen to some music and I had forgot my iPod. And yes, at that time it was an iPod. (laughs) And I was like, oh, dang. And so, and I guess it wasn't even earbuds. I don't know what they're called. Like, yeah, I guess headphones. And uh, so I, we had a headphone jack in the plane. And so I just plugged in, you know, in the plane, thankfully. And I was flipping through and I came to a Christian station and it was like, they were like, hey, it's the message. Uh, I think it was the message on satellite radio. And so they were talking and then I was like weeping and just feeling like, God, I don't, 
I don't want to be here. Like, this is horrible. This is not what I wanted. This is not what I was hoping for. Nothing is going right. I keep getting hurt. Everybody hates me. Do I hate me? Like, it was just a lot of questions. And I'm, you know, 19 at the time, I think, and just really lost. And um, I like, just as I was asking, like, do I stay? Like, what do I do? The plane turns, the engines like blast, and we start taking off. And this song came on. It was Third Day's Revelation. And I don't know if you've ever heard that song. And the, the chorus is like, give me a revelation. Show me what to do. I've been trying to find my way and I haven't got a clue. Tell me, should I stay here or do I need to move? Give me a revelation because I have nothing without you. And it just like pierced my heart. And again, sobbing, which I coincidentally enough cannot cry anymore. I don't know if it was from that moment or my college experience, I got all my cries out and it's mm. I like my crier is broken, but I was weeping at that point and I felt like, even though that was a question in my mind, that song was affirmation of like, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. This is so much more than basketball. Like lean into me, God saying that. And and this is like, this is, I'll get you through this. Like this is gonna be for your good in the end. And so that was the, the last wrestling. So I guess junior year, I kind of still had those thoughts of like, I wish maybe I would have gone somewhere else or I, I wish it wasn't this way, but I knew that I knew that I knew I was where I was supposed to be. So, yeah. How did you cope? I mean, other than you, you have this moment where you feel like you hear from God so clearly, but you have to continue to wake up and show up at workouts and practice mm-hmm. and endure the locker room and the comments and the jabs and the elbows like for three more years. So... How did you cope? I think some of it was ignorance. <laughs> like youthful ignorance of just not knowing any other way. I think there was also my own stubbornness of like, I gave my life to be here. I'm not going to let them take that away from me. And so I was going to make the most of it. Um, so yeah, ignorance, stubborn, my stubborn nature. And then he started putting people in my life and situations that were like very life-giving outside of basketball. Um, and so being a part of Athletes in Action and, and having other athletes that like felt like there was more to life than just sport and wanting to, maybe even not completely committed to being a Christian, but wanting to at least entertain the idea um, that that there's a spiritual component to our beings. Um, that was really, really huge. And so I think getting involved with Athletes in Action, having that camaraderie, I started also seeing that I needed to seek friends outside of my team. Because up until that point, you are like, you're always with your teammates. And that like that was a toxic environment for me. So I felt like God was giving me that discernment to see I need to start finding friends um, outside of that who love Jesus, who would be a, a positive influence. And I also realized um, I needed to find a church because up until that point, I hadn't been going to church. And I kind of hit this wall where I looked, I remember looking in the mirror and thinking, I am bitter. I am angry. I don't recognize the eyes that are staring back at me. 
I, something needs to change. And shortly thereafter, my coach passed away and it was just this perfect storm of like everything coming to a head where I was just, I remember one Wednesday I drove myself to a church. I need this. I need to come back to who I was and, and really like at that point, test my faith. Is this really something I believe in or is this just something I've grown up with? And like, it sounds like a good idea and maybe a crutch or, you know, and so I drove myself to church and I walked in and like, they were singing a song. I, I guess mu- music kind of moves me, but it was the first time it was mighty to save. And I just threw my hands up. I mind you up until that point, I was the person in church like always kept my hands to my side, maybe saying a little bit, but I wasn't going to show anybody that like, yeah, I just was very embarrassed about what people would think. Hands went up again, weeping and just like, I heard a voice. I think I don't often hear audibly from God. I think there's maybe been like two or three times in my life. And I just heard this. If you put your attention on me, everything else will fall into place. Like just fix your eyes on me and I promise I'll take care of everything else. And it was from that moment on that I started realizing, okay, things need to change. So I made the commitment to be involved with Athletes in Action and not just like show up every now and then, but be on the leadership team and actually invest in that and invest in the church. So I started uh, with children's ministry and like getting plugged in and in these little steps that seemed like they would have been so time consuming or so exhausting before that became such a priority for me. And even though it was more work or more things to do on top of an already crazy schedule as a student athlete, it was so life-giving that like I couldn't, I did not want to do that. And so as I continued to step with God in those spaces, the more that I just experienced joy and the more that I experienced him and the more that I started realizing everything that I've been longing for my whole life of just connection and meaning and like really fulfillment. I'm starting to experience that through the Holy Spirit and through a relationship with Jesus that I didn't even know was possible until my world came to an end. Um, And so that I would say, that's how I started being able to cope. Um, and being able to love my teammates in a way that honestly, I didn't know possible. Like uh, when I came back after, so I had three concussions and after my second one, it was two in one week's time given to me by the same player, um, elbows to the face and- On your own team. Yes, in practice, yeah. After that second hit, and I was, I mean, I was down for the count for about three months because I was so sensitive after the first concussion. I didn't want to say anything just because I was, I'd been injured the first two years. I didn't want to say anything, but I was nauseous. I was sick, headache all week. And then she did it again and I was donezo. And so it took me about three months to be able to get back. And I came back, we, we made it to the NCAAs, which was a standard. Like that was, we typically made it at least first round. They were sweet 16 the year before I got there. And then a year I did get there, we tanked. So we missed the NCAAs like two years in a row, which is Mm. crazy. Um, but that kind of was indicative of the state of our team, if I'm being honest. Um, but we finally made it back my junior year. And so I was able to come back for the first NCAA game. I got to play a little bit in it. And I was so excited. And, and leading up to that, I was able to kind of get some practices in and So after the first practice back, I was on cloud nine because at this point I hadn't played really at all. And I loved the sport. Like I really genuinely loved playing basketball. And so I had missed it and I was so excited. We walked down, we're in the locker room and, um, 
we're taking off, you know, changing, taking off our clothes and we had these like laundry loops. And so you would put all of your stuff. It was really cool. Actually, you'd like loop your socks, um, shirt, Jersey, everything in the loop. And then we throw it in the middle of the floor, um, of the locker room. And then usually would rotate or the rookies would take the laundry loops back. Um, but it was all like congregated in the middle. And so I was at my locker and I, all of a sudden just felt this like smack on my face. It was wet clothes, sweaty, wet clothes, smelly, gross, like slide down my face. And I looked and the gal who had given me the concussion was laughing and she had chucked her laundry at me. And I was so perplexed. I honestly, I I was so confused. And I was like, what, why, why would you do this? And she was laughing and she said, oh, my bad, Hannah. Um, We just got used to throwing our for better word, crap on your locker while you were gone. It kind of sucks your back now. I guess we got to change that. And I was like, wow. And so I like everything that was within me wanted to just swing. I was ready to like come out. And my response, this was not me because in my brain, I'm kicking and screaming. And and what happened actually was that my mouth was quiet. I did not respond. I grabbed my laundry loop. I grabbed all the laundry loops in my arm. It was like stinky, sweaty, just gross. And I just walked out and carried them all back and left the gym. I showered at home. Like I just didn't even go back in. And in my brain, I was like, how did that just happen? Because I replayed that and I was swinging. Um, And he, I think in that moment showed me like, you are here, not just for, you know, becoming a woman that's like loves me and is, you know, good of good character and of great integrity, but like, I am using you to show what love looks like to a team and to a group of women that don't know or who have ever known my love. And that was like, really God, I really just wanted to swing, you know, like, but it was, it was really cool for me to experience that because I saw like that kind of gave that greater sense of purpose. And again, I think that moment was really pivotal in me staying and realizing like there's a reason I'm staying and there's a reason that I'm enduring this. And like, it's worth the battle and worth the pain because God's going to do something really beautiful with it in the end. So how does this collide where you've got this coach, this phenomenal coach that has this standard and work ethic and heart for these players? I guess I'm having trouble making sense of a coach like that allowing a team dynamic like the one you're describing. How? How did both of those things exist? It was an interesting, like, perfect storm of events because she, having relapsed, she couldn't really invest and she couldn't really be as involved. And so we didn't have the same, like, intention. She couldn't have the same intentionality with us. And then when she passed, there was this weird in-between of, like, what do we do with our coaching staff? And... So we were kind of left to our own demise in the sense of like how we interacted. I didn't speak up, I think. And I, looking back, I was too embarrassed or I didn't want to be the squeaky wheel. I didn't want to be someone who was like crying for playing time or crying because my teammates were beating up on me or, you know, I just felt like that was kind of, I was in my mind, I was an adult and I needed to handle it like an adult. And 
I didn't do very well because I'm learning now. Like you speak up, you stand up for yourself. Like I should have told the coaches what was going on and I, they saw it. I mean, it, it was not like it wasn't evident, but at the same time, I think it was just not wanting to create extra conflict. So it was just a weird kind of mix of, um, yeah, of personalities and of circumstances and, and her being sick. And yeah. Gosh. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was, it was interesting. I don't think there was ever an, an, a time where like any of my coaches were like, I see that Hannah's getting beat up and this is great. So we're going to keep it going this way. Like, <laughs> you know, it, it seems right. like silly, but it just kind of, it just kind of happened. Mm. And I think everybody was in survival mode that, that when you're grieving and you're hurting and you don't really know how to, you can only spin so many plates. I think I just, because I didn't speak up, I just kind of got swept under the rug. Um, I think the, the struggle or trying to discern like what would God have me do is heavy. Yeah. So I'm, I'm enduring if the God I know wants good for me, if he protects me, defends me, that's really hard to reconcile with. But do I stay in a situation that's harmful to me or hurtful yeah. to me? Um, and I think that teasing that out, I would imagine, also doesn't happen overnight. But I think, mm -hmm. like, in hearing you talk about it, I think it takes a lot of, like, growth and just, like, faith, I think, to arrive at this place to go, I don't think what God had for me was, like, I hope this isn't too strong of a word, being abused in that way. I don't think that's what God had for me but he has not wasted it is what I hear. And I, yeah. and I imagine that like being 19, it would be really hurtful to, to even like wrestle with the question, like, God, why would you want me to stay in this mm -hmm. like scary place? I, f up until recently, I realized that I didn't truly believe that God wanted good for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and as much as I followed him and loved him and wanted to serve him and wanted to be used by him, wanted to do life with him, I think a lot of times I just felt like, and this has kind of been very characteristic of my whole life of being very independent and very competent. Um, I think people would just be like, oh, Hannah's got her stuff together. We don't really need to worry about her. Um, and so it was just assumed that I was always okay. Everything was fine. I would always figure a way. I was, you know, intelligent enough to, to either problem solve or emotionally intelligent enough to handle it. Or like, I think I just always was looked to, to have it all together. Um, even though that was not the case. I mean, in some, in some circumstances, yes. But I think, um, what I kind of, college really, uh, instilled in me was that I felt like maybe God felt that way about me. And I think he was like, Hannah's got this, like I can trust her. I have her heart. Like I know she loves me and I love her, but that like, I can just trust her to do what it is that I want her to do and get it done and get it done well. And so it was kind of, it's kind of interesting because in my now, like 
10 years later, I'm starting to realize like that was how I related to God was I almost felt like, not that he was taking advantage of me, but that he was like, hey, I can, if I need something done and done well, I'm going to send Hannah. I'm going to like put her in the position to do whatever it is I need to get done. And then she'll handle them. We'll be good to go. And I know that sounds, I don't know if this is making sense, but I think I always just felt like, well, God, what about like, what about good for me? Like, does anything ever get to be good? Like, do I get to enjoy, you know, I, I love being able to, and it really satisfies my heart to be able to help other people and to be able to enjoy goodness with them. But I also feel like most of my life has been a struggle and has been a wrestle wrestling match with God. Um, and so it's really interesting because I started realizing with actually, since I started seminary, I felt like, does God really want good for me? Like, I know he wants, he says it, but like, do I actually really get to enjoy goodness with the Lord? And I think it's really cool to see how I'm experiencing that now. And it's so much more rich and so much more meaningful um, now, having gone through all of what I went through to see how he's redeeming each of those places. And I think if this is encouragement to anybody listening who is kind of in that place of like, I don't know if I trust God to be good or I don't think anything ever works out for me. Like my story is, I guess, college. If we're looking at just that college experience, like I'm 32 now and that was 19. So I'm not good at math. That's one thing I'm not good at. (laughs) But how many years later, like that story wasn't over just then. Like, I think I'm still living out that story. And so he, he is working it all for good. And I can say that now, like, yeah, God wants good for me and he loves me and he's not just using me. Um, so how do you wind up leaving basketball? I was a little burnout. I'm not going to lie. Um, I, so I had my senior year was my third concussion and I didn't realize it until like even the next day, um, I like blacked out in the training room and tried to figure out what was going on and went back through concussion protocol. And so I still had another year to play. So I should have had five years because of my red shirt year. And so I, um, I was like, man, this can't be happening again. And and the team doctor was amazing. Um, His name was Dr. Jacobs. And I literally spent time with him every day for like my entire senior season. I came in and he asked, you know, how are you feeling? How we did the balance test. Every time I'd close my eyes, I'd fall straight down. I had zero balance. It was really trippy. Um, But I was still kind of trying to recover from that. And so he sat me down and it was interesting because before I went into that, that doctor's appointment, I was at my wits end and I was like, I think I'm done. I I'm terrified. I'm terrified to stop playing because it's all I've ever known. And I've given so much of my life to this. Like I can't just say I'm done. And I felt like that was weak. And I, I felt like I needed to overcome this. I never quit before. And so like, like that was terrifying. But at the same time, if I was being honest, I was terrified of going back out and like dying, honestly. Um, I was wrestling with that tension too. And I dropped to my knees in the bathroom of the um, the training center. And I was just like, God, I I actually need you to, to do this for me because I don't know what decision to make. 
Um, and I am at a loss and I'm terrified if I do, I'm terrified if I don't. And so, uh, they called me in and I, I went into the room and sat with him and after testing my balance and asking me how I felt, I was like, I still feel horrible. I don't even think I recognize my eyes. Like, I don't, I was looking in the mirror again and not even, it just, they look gray. It was just really weird. And so he said, well, I, I could have told you this initially, but I wanted to give you some time to really like settle into it and wrestle up. He said, uh, the NCAA only allows three concussions within a year's time. And you've had three in 10 months. So you are medically disqualified from playing basketball anymore. Even though that news would have otherwise devastated me. At that moment, I just was so grateful because I had just asked for an answer and God answered it so immediately. That prayer of like, yeah, I got you. Like, you're not quitting. I'm giving you this out. Like, this is not good for you to continue this way. And so I was so relieved to be done and just to be able to like settle into that and be okay with that and just rejoice in the fact that like God was watching out for me. He did see me. He did hear me and like he was taking care of me. And that was really huge. So I miss it now though. I'm not going to lie. It took me a couple of years, but now I'm like, oh, it's just, yeah, it's kind of sad not to be able to play. I can shoot around, but it's just not the same. What would you say, you know, what has marked you or what have you carried with you just from, from that experience, from that time? Um, what do you continue to kind of carry with you? I think, I don't know if there's necessarily one, uh, lesson that I could pull away from, but I think what's been really cool is like, I guess God, he's not insecure. And so I think he allows us to be in situations where we can question him. We can yell and argue with him. We can complain and cry and, and really like work through the messiness of it all. Like, and in that time I've, I learned that I could be real with God. I could be honest and I could tell him how I'm feeling. Those times when I can be honest with God and let him in and then also be ugly with God too and know that like he knows my heart anyway. And so to try to keep it together and just do what I'm supposed to do for him. Um, like it, he, he sees it anyway. So to be able to, to know that I have the space and the, um, the safe space to do that with him to then see and trust that he's good in bringing me through. And he never leaves me at that spot. Like I, I can be angry and be, um, frustrated or confused or clueless. Um, but he will bring me through that if I continue to be honest and lean into him and lean into others and allow other people into my life um, to be able to be honest with them so that like he will redeem every aspect and he will make good in everything. And so I think that's something that is a, I guess, can manifest itself in different ways and different lessons individually throughout my life and has. But like the overarching theme is recognizing those dark moments with God always lead to like beautiful sunrises for better lack of better words or like, you know, to be kind of like cliche, those that dark um, time with him and alone. It might feel ugly, but he never leaves us there. Like he he will always bring me through and 
And it's okay to have those moments. Like I don't have to be afraid of those. What gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, <laughs> I'm an incredibly passionate person. And I just am excited, again, excited about everything. <laughs> so like the excitement of what could be, like what might I learn today? How might I experience God today? Who might I meet today? Like uh, possibility, passion and possibility. And what keeps you up at night? Oh, <laughs> That is a very good question because I don't know. I am like a serious insomniac. I have the hardest time sleeping and I don't even know why. Sometimes I'm singing. Sometimes I'm stuck, uh, like just hanging out. Like I, I go to bed, I get sleepy. I go to bed early. I'm usually getting ready for bed around 9.30, out by 10. Sometime between the hours of like 1.30 and 4.30 a.m., who knows? I'll wake up, I'll fall back asleep. It's never worrying. It's never really stress. It's, I get a song stuck on repeat and it's like <laughs> random song or I get like, just can't fall asleep. Or then I just decide, you know, maybe God is saying, Hey, like I want some extra time with you. And that stillness of the night is such a beautiful time with him that like, I'm like, okay, I'll get up. That's no big deal. Well, Hannah, thank you so much just for your time and your honesty and um, for this just incredible story that yeah. is only yours. And um, thanks for sharing it with us. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Juniper and Journey podcast. If you heard something that resonated with you or that you have questions about, we would love to hear from you. Follow us on Instagram at Juniper and Journey and slide into our DMs. It would be our treat and total privilege to chat with you. We all have a story. If you're interested in sharing yours here on the podcast, please reach out. Bye for now. Cheers. Cheers.